So, SBC family, we're going to go into this time of, of a sermon here. And I think there's a few things I want us just to think about as we uh, go into this third encounter that Jesus has with his disciples. This is the encounter the disciples have with Jesus, the risen Jesus. And I think there's so many things that we can learn from these encounters that we've looked over the last few uh, weeks. And I think there's so many things that we can pick up from this particular encounter that Jesus has with his disciples. Uh, but before we go into that, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this question. It was a question I was thinking about as I was writing this uh, sermon. And the question is this. Have you ever been, been given advice or instructions? And at the time, it, it made no sense. It wasn't really logical. But for some reason, you listened and it turned out to be really good advice. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before. I, I remember going through many situations like this where someone has given me advice and at the time it made no sense, but later on I saw the bigger picture. Um, I remember when I was 17 years old, my, my mentor at the time, he said to me, Denzel, I want you, oh, I think it's best for you to go and study theology. It was like he was giving me advice and also giving me instructions. He said, I think it's best for you to go and study theology. And you're probably thinking, this isn't weird advice, this makes sense. Uh, well, it's definitely good advice, but for me, it made no sense at that time of my life. I, I was young then, and I personally didn't think I needed to go to, to Bible college. I remember the pastor who um, I was with at that particular time, the church I was at, he used to brag about not going to Bible college and still turning out okay. I had no ambitions to go to Bible college. And my mentor also knew I wasn't academic, that I struggled with school my whole life. So there's no way I had any ambitions to go and do a degree in theology. It just made no sense. And I spoke to him about my plans to go to Ghana for a year, uh, for a gap year to help my uncle in his church. That was my plan. Things were getting ready. I already had everything sorted. And then he comes and he gives me this weird advice that, you know what, you shouldn't do all of those things. You should stop and go and study theology. Now, it made no sense to me at the time. But for some reason, I listened to him and it turned out to be one of the best decisions I've made in my life. Through listening to this strange advice from this weird advice at that particular time for me, when I go into Bible college, it made me learn so much new things because the church I was in was a prosperity preaching church. When I went to Bible college, I had to do a lot of unlearning, which meant that I could see God and Jesus in, in its right way uh, through the scriptures. Uh, through listening to his advice, my, my church at the time, which was Stratton Baptist, they kind of gave me an affirmation of a call into ministry, which then led me into Baptist accreditation. And after finishing my studies, which was a difficult time, but very fruitful, I was able to go and, and work as an associate pastor in Wolves and Green. And of course, I found my wife in that church as well. And through his advice, it's also led me here at Selzen, where I continue to serve God in the capacity, capacity that he wants me to. All because I listened to this advice, which for me made no sense at that time. But clearly, God was working. Now, the Bible is filled with so much more extreme or weird instructions or advice that God gives people. And then they obey and see how God is at work. There's three people that came to mind when I was thinking about this. Someone like Abraham who God promised that his descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars, but he has no children and they're struggling to have 
children. And for so long, they are waiting and waiting and even take matters into their own hands. But God says, no, your wife, Sarah, she's going to give birth. And they, they're waiting and waiting and Sarah gets older, which makes it even more impossible for her to have a baby. And God, through his power, he gives them a baby, Isaac, when he comes into the scene. They've been waiting, they're praising God. And then God tells Abraham to sacrifice him, to, to give him up to him. I mean, this is this makes no sense. Why would God take away something that he's promised, something that he's blessed? Why would God do that? And personally, if that was me hearing these words from God, I'd probably think it's some weird voice speaking because this doesn't make any sense. Why would God say this? Why would God instruct this? And we see that through Abraham's obedience, he saw how God was at work and his covenant to Abraham was confirmed on that day. And God's bigger salvation plan was also revealed uh, to Abraham in that day as well. God was working in such a weird way. Another example is Moses, someone who had killed someone in, in Egypt. He killed an Egyptian and was in this wilderness for, for 40 years, just, just living his life as a fugitive. And then we see this weird encounter that he has with God in this burning bush. And for some reason, which doesn't make any sense, God says that this murderer, this person who can't speak properly, someone who's not accepted in Egypt, you are going to be the one that's going to free my people, Israel, from slavery. Now, this makes no sense. And even Moses recognized this made no sense. He gave God all the excuses until he came to the point where he knew he couldn't run away from God's will. And he accepted this strange call, which made no sense to him. And we see that Moses becomes one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Through him, God was able to establish the law for the people. Something that seemed strange, God was working in that way. And lastly, David and Samuel. Samuel was commanded to go into the house of Jesse and pick the next king because the first king, King Saul, he had failed. Now God is going to choose the next king. So he goes into the house of, of, of Jesse and of course it makes sense for Samuel to, to find the, the strongest, the oldest son to anoint as the next king. And God says, that's not the one. And then he goes to the next son and nope. That's not the one. And they go and go and go until Jesse remembers that he has another son somewhere in the field who's tending the sheep. And he comes over and God says, this is the one. The one who's the least militant experience. The one who's the youngest. He's the one I want you to anoint as my new king. This makes no sense. Why would God pick the person who's least experienced, the youngest? Because God is able to work in strange ways. Ways, ways that makes no sense to us at times. And I have a feeling that when God instructs people in the Bible uh, to do this, he, when he gives them weird instructions, things that seem impossible, is to show the people that he's not confined to their logic. Just because it doesn't make sense to them or it seems impossible to them, doesn't mean that God can't make it happen. You see, God is not like a human being, human beings who are limited. We have limitations to show that we are not God. And we see that Jesus works in the same way. When he was on earth, we see throughout the gospel, he would often say things or advise, uh, give advice which sounded really strange, which made no sense to the people at the time. But because he's God, 
it ends up being something mind-blowing, something amazing, something that the people can never imagine. And this is what we see Jesus doing in our passage today with his disciples. He instructs them to do something that simply just doesn't make sense. But when they obey him, they see the most amazing thing that they could ever see. They see Jesus working in strange ways. So let's look into this passage. Let's, let's dive in and see what's going on here in, in John chapter 21 verses 1 to 14. So we see the disciples are hanging out in Galilee. Now, they're there because Jesus said that he would meet them in Galilee. They should go and he will meet them there in Galilee. We see this in Matthew 28 verses 10. But of course, there's something different about Jesus and his movement. After his resurrection, there's a different movement. There's something different about Jesus. His appearance is very different. And he doesn't hang around with the disciples like how he used to. He just appears in certain moments, sometimes walking through wars and appearing to disciples for a time and a purpose. So it seems like they've reached, they've reached Galilee and to buy some time and also to make some money. I do wonder if the funding that we see, um, the, in, particularly in Luke chapter 8, there was these particular people, these women who were funding Jesus' ministry. Maybe the funding had stopped. But for whatever reason, to maybe to buy some time and to make some money, Peter decides to go fishing. He decides to do something that he's, he's really good at. And the other disciples join him as well. It's clear that they don't really know what to do next. They're not really giving instructions of what to do when they get to Galilee. Jesus just says that he will meet them there. So they go at night because that was the best time to go fishing. So when they catch some fish in the morning, they can sell some fresh fish to people and keep some for themselves. Sounds like a really good plan. But for some reason, the disciples were not able to catch any fish. These experienced fishermen, cannot catch one fish. It's interesting. I, I mean, I went to Cornwall last year and I have real no experience in fishing. And we went on one of these fishing trips that you were basically guaranteed to catch a fish. And I remember going on the boat and the fishermen saying that today hasn't really been a good day, but we still caught fish. There was still quite a few fish that we caught and I was not experienced in fishing at all. And for some reason here, we have these disciples who are expert fishermen, but they still couldn't catch one fish. I'm sure they tried all the tricks, everything that they've learned in fishing school, but still couldn't catch any fish. But something is about to change and the writer is beginning to show us this when we look at this passage, particularly from verses 46. We see that this strange man appears on the shore. Now we know this man to be Jesus because the passage indicates this. But the disciples at the time did not know that it was Jesus. I wonder if it's because of the morning fog and the distance that they couldn't really recognize Jesus or maybe something supernatural was happening. We see with the two people on the way to Emmaus in our story last week that they were prevented from seeing Jesus for who he really was. But we don't really know. But for whatever reason, they did not know that this man on the shore was Jesus. So in verses five, they're basically speaking to this stranger who communicates to them and he asks, have you caught any fish? Now this probably annoyed the disciples even more. The fact that they've been all night trying to catch fish and they couldn't. And this stranger asks if they've caught any fish. 
I know that one of those questions that people ask you when you're annoyed or you're finding something difficult, I think they were probably annoyed by this question. So their reply was simply no. But then in verses six, they get this instructions from this stranger, which made no sense. This stranger says to them, who of course we know is Jesus, he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now they have already tried that. This makes no sense. What is throwing their nets on the right side going to do? Also, the disciples were in the best position to see where to throw their nets because they were already on the sea. But this stranger who's on dry land, for some reason, he thinks he knows best. This makes no sense. But it's interesting, maybe out of desperation or hunger or just for the sake of doing it, they listen to this stranger's voice and something miraculous happens. Something that they could not do in their own ability. Something that could not happen through their own wisdom. Something that their knowledge and experience could not do at this moment. The passage says that they were unable to hold the net in because of the large number of fish. Now they know that they were, there was no fish in there before, but now there is. This is a miracle. And John suddenly recognized that this stranger was the Lord. And I don't think it was because he finally put on his glasses and could see Jesus clearly. I think it's because the impossible happened. And he knows that the impossible happens with Jesus. Peter, of course, goes crazy. He jumps uh, into the sea to go to Jesus as he recognizes that this is the Lord. The other disciples are a bit more wise and they, they, they rode back into uh, the shore to meet Jesus where they basically have breakfast with Jesus for the rest of the time. But I, I want us to stop there in our story. And I think there's so much that we can learn from this very fascinating, strange story about catching some fish. I think there's some things that we can reflect on and learn as a church community. So there's three things I want us just to reflect on as we've looked at these, these passages. The first thing is this. Jesus' instructions to his disciples was to remind them that his voice changes everything. It's interesting that even though the disciples don't recognize the voice of Jesus at that time, it was still the voice of Jesus that they were obeying. This voice that speaks life. This voice that brings healing. This voice that liberates. This voice that speaks against injustice. This voice that brings everything into existence. They thought it was just a stranger speaking, but it wasn't. It was Jesus, the most powerful voice in existence. And this is the same voice that needs to be speaking in our churches. This is the same voice that we should be seeking instructions from. This is the same voice that we should be listening to. See, I've realized in my short time on this earth and in church work, that sometimes uh, people's opinions about what church should be like or what church should look like can sometimes overpower the voice of Jesus. And I think sometimes when we're getting carried away by what is best for the church, we need to stop and ask ourselves, but, but what is Jesus saying? What does Jesus think? Because Jesus' voice changes everything. I think as a church, once we recognize that the, the voice of Jesus is speaking, and I believe that we can be sure that the voice of Jesus is speaking, we should go ahead and do what he says. 
And I think one of the, the clear ways of hearing the voice of Jesus is by knowing what's on his heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we see throughout the Gospels what's on Jesus' heart, that he is loving and wants no one to perish. And once we know this about the heart of Jesus, we will begin to hear him calling us to go and preach the gospel. We will hear him saying to us, go and show love to people. Go and do justice. Go and be amongst the people who are lost. That's what's on the heart of Jesus. And let's be honest, knowing what's on Jesus' heart will cause us to do things different as a church, to put our agenda aside and take on his. Knowing the voice of Jesus and listening to this voice changes everything and the disciples would have recognized this at this point the second thing is this jesus's command to his disciples to cast their nets on the right side of the boat is to remind them that they still need to listen to his instructions you see I, i've been thinking maybe the way that we think our church is very prepared as a church because of our training, our organization, our ministers, because we have all of these things, then we're all set to go as a church. We can do this on our own. The disciples had the best fishermen on that boat, but still couldn't catch one fish. What made the difference was that they listened to Jesus's instructions. And we see in these last day appearances that Jesus appears to his disciples but just before he's taken up to heaven he's always reminding his disciples that they still need him even after he's gone to heaven they still need him and that's why Jesus promises the Holy Spirit yes they've been with Jesus for three years they've had the best training that they could possibly have but they still needed the Holy Spirit they still needed Jesus's guidance Jesus's instructions i wonder if maybe the way we're set up as a church and not just here in sbc but but globally sometimes the confidence that we have in our programs in our building in our ministers so much confidence in these things that it can sometimes communicate that we don't really need jesus i mean we've got everything sorted we've, we've got the whole package and maybe that's one of the reasons why so many churches are in decline and have no reason why. Can't work out why is this? I mean, we have a good building, we have good ministers, we have good music. Why are people not coming to church? Maybe it's because the focus hasn't always been on Jesus and his instructions. Maybe there's something that Jesus wants us to move away from, but we are saying that these are the things that we believe will bring people to the church. And of course, I'm not saying that these things are bad. These things are good to have our, our building, our ministers, all of these things. They're, they're really good. These programs, all of these things are good. But I think once we start having more faith in these things rather than on Jesus and his instructions, I think we're going to run into many problems. As a church, everything that we do, Jesus has to be at the center. There shouldn't be an aspect of church that Jesus isn't there. And the last reflection is this. Maybe we need to recognize when Jesus is working. Recognizing when Jesus is working. 
The disciples were given these instructions, who they thought was a stranger speaking to them. But they had no idea that this was Jesus beginning to work. Now it's when this miracle of this huge catch of fish happened, is when they knew that this is the Lord, particularly John pointing this out in verses 7. And when they hear that this is the Lord who has done this amazing work, they rush to him in excitement. They recognize that Jesus was the one that did this great miracle. It's amazing that Jesus uses the simple things in life to blow our minds. I mean, for the disciples, this was meant to be a simple fishing trip, but it turned out to be the best fishing trip ever. See, Jesus is working in our everyday lives. Jesus is working in our church. Jesus is working in our community, in cells and in, in, in our world. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we recognize when Jesus is working? Because I think sometimes we can dismiss Jesus working because it doesn't look like what we are used to or because it doesn't fit our thinking. But in this passage, Jesus was able to work in such a strange way through a simple fishing trip. See, as I was reading this passage, I, I was thinking, what would have happened if the disciples didn't listen to the voice of Jesus at this time? And thought, this is silly. We've already done that. We're going to continue doing what we think is best. I, I don't believe they would have seen this amazing miracle. I don't believe it. So it's so important as a church that we are open to Jesus working. Knowing that Jesus can sometimes works in ways that we are not used to. There are times where we, Jesus might be prompting us to do something that we've never done before. Or sometimes he may be asking us to change something so simple, like throwing our nets on the right side. Something so simple that can have such a big impact in our church. Uh, I remember something uh, very simple that we changed in my, my previous church in, in Wilsden Green, and it was with our young adults. And I was finding, trying to find creative ways with our team to, to change how we do our Bible studies. Um, every Wednesday we had a Bible study. And it wasn't really catching on. People wasn't really growing or really grasping the Bible like how I, I wanted them to. So we tried all different um, trendy, catchy things that would hopefully catch people's attention. We tried debates and tried to have controversial um, topics that we could look through. And it just wasn't clicking. It just wasn't connecting. And so I just thought... And I really felt this was the leading of the Holy Spirit just to go back to basics. Let's just find a book in the Bible and go for it verse by verse. It sounds boring, but I thought this, this is something that we should do. And this had such a big impact on the young people's development um, through the Bible. They were able to really grasp the Bible. In fact, they, they even had an excitement for Jesus through reading the Bible in this way. And this was something so simple that we were able to change that has such a big impact impact so i mean it's quite challenging there may be some things that jesus might be asking us to do there may be some some big changes or there may be something so small something so simple like throwing our nets on the on the right hand side as he tells his disciples which for them probably made no sense but they saw how jesus was working in such an amazing way so what am I trying to say to us today? I think there's a few things and I've been challenged this week as I was reflecting on this passage and I, I hope that we can be challenged too. I think we need to be a church that obeys the voice of Jesus. It sounds simple, but sometimes the, the simple things are hard to do. 
I think we need to be a church that knows that we still need the voice of Jesus, still need to listen to his instructions. No matter how prepared we are as a church, we still need Jesus' input in everything that we do as a church. I think we need to be a church that recognizes when Jesus is working and be excited about him working in our lives and in our community. And maybe he may be working in ways that we are not familiar with, ways that we're not used to, ways that are different. Maybe Jesus is calling us to throw our efforts, to throw our attention in a different direction. And I believe Trevor has really been challenging us uh, to think about this. Being a church that is a church that loves worship, true and proper worship, a church that welcomes and a church that blesses. These things are on the heart of Jesus. Maybe this is the time that we allow Jesus' voice to be dominant, seeking his instructions, knowing that he knows what's best for his church. And as he speaks, we will be willing to go and do what he says. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can uh, hear your word, Lord seeing your appearance to your disciples in this fascinating way on this boat and lord through their struggles and all night just trying to picture it trying to catch a fish feeling hungry feeling tired feeling weary feeling hopeless lord these expert fishermen still couldn't catch any fish lord you come in and you give them advice that seems strange that seems weird but Lord, it seems to be the best decision that they can make, the best advice that they can listen to. And we see this great miracle happening through this, Lord. And I pray, Lord, this would be the same for us as a church. Maybe, Lord, you were calling us and speaking to us in a way that is, that, that is different, a way that is unique to us as a church, a way that's maybe different from other churches. But you're, you're, you're doing something in cells and, Lord, that you want us to be a part of. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that we can listen to your voice by knowing what's on your heart, Lord God. And we'll be a people that is willing, no matter how strange or risky or uncomfortable this may sound. I pray, Lord God, that we will be willing to, to go and do what you say. Heavenly Father, be with us, Lord, as a church. Help us to, to really think about these things. Help us to reflect on your word. In your name I pray. Amen.